The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Anerho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. And Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. Hey, Dom. How's it going? Great. Thanks. Folks, I want to start off with a, we have a new sponsor for the show. And as a listener of The Secrets of Tech, you, you, may, you might be a developer, or you might know a developer looking for an opportunity to work for a company with a mission that matters. And Faithlife, which you've heard us talk about, are the makers of Logos Bible Software, Verbum, Catholic Scripture Study Software, and uh, something they call the Integrated Ministry Platform. And they're hiring full-stack developers. Uh, most of the positions can be worked remotely, and they offer competitive salary and benefits. And so it's a company where employees have an average of five years of tenure, which if you know anything about programming in the tech space, that's <laughs> practically eternity these days. And they are a company who, uh, they, they make Bible software and software for churches. Their values are uh, compatible with most of our, of, you know, with the values of most of our audience here. So, uh, and, and they list your values on their site, you know, honesty, openness, and awesomeness, which is, I think, the best, the best value that they <laughs> list. Best value. <laughs> that is awesome. The, the awesomeness. So uh, to check out the open positions that they have available, go to faithlife.com slash careers and make sure to tell them that you heard about it on the Secrets of Technology. So, guys, uh, today we I wanted to talk about this new phenomenon that uh, we've been hearing about, and we talked a little bit about this before, but it's called Zoom Towns. It's it's kind of like Boom Towns, but it's Zoom Towns, uh, and the idea is uh, people are, uh, you know, now that so many people are working from home, and more and more tech companies are saying, you know, or companies that rely on tech are saying to their employees, you can work home in, from home indefinitely. People are starting to realize, well. Okay, so I can probably do this from anywhere. So why not do this from, say, places where I vacation? So people are moving out of cities and into suburbs and even rural areas. And uh, because cities that are under lockdown are less attractive because they have all of the expense of living in the big city and none of the perks. And uh, so people and plus people have kids, you know, learning at home, too. And so they're looking for bigger homes for you know what they're spending. So. Uh, it it's this is kind of causing some problems for the small towns that they're moving to as well higher cost of living uh, uh, the uh, increasing demand on their resources so uh, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon what do you guys think of this 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 whole phenomenon of zoom towns of people moving out of the cities out of even the suburbs and going remote uh, I, I kind of get the feeling I'm, I'm not exactly sure where you, I know like in this, what states you guys live in, but I'm not sure whether you live in urban, rural, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, what do you guys think of this phenomenon? I think it's going to be more than a bubble. I think yeah. that going forward, we've kind of crossed that point where you don't need to, especially if you're doing something in the tech field, like if you're a developer, you don't need to live right next to where your company is and go into work every day. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that, especially among younger people and in the tech industry. So I think this is more than just during COVID. Yeah. What do you think, Thomas? 
Yeah, I I live in a suburban area of Florida, and it's pretty close to the major cities, but not close enough to bother with all the hassle of them. So, you know, we're, we're just outside of Tampa, so we get to go into Tampa to do anything we need to do or drive over to Orlando, and not, but, you know, kind of in between the two. <laughs> Um, so I see the appeal. I was really interested in reading these articles that they didn't mention the fact that um, a lot of these rural areas are areas where Google Fiber has been run. So the added benefit of moving to one of these areas is that you have an even better Internet connection to do all the work that you're doing from home. Hmm. And less competition on it until exactly. everybody else moves out there with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that tends to be the problem, right? <laughs> that's one of the interesting things is but like in 2019 and previously there was actually some of these places had these big uh, pushes to bring in more young uh, families because they'd had such a drain toward the cities of, of young people. And so I'm like where I live, I live in New England, Western Massachusetts, they'd put in this huge fiber backbone that goes like we have the Massachusetts Turnpike, which runs the the length of the state. And they, they laid this huge fiber backbone in the median, literally in the median of that all the <laughs> way through the state. And all these towns, these little towns in the western part of the state, you have this great Internet connection. And they've been really pushing people to move there. Same thing with Vermont. Same thing with rural Maine. Uh, when people think of Maine, there's like the the lower like 20 percent that 80 percent of people from Maine live in. And then there's 80 percent of the state is mostly empty. And uh, so that so a lot of that was has been pushing to bring small businesses, companies in there. And so now that people can do this, it's funny because now they're going, um, maybe there's too many of you. Like, like, like <laughs> That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Go back. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's kind of this, this balance. Uh, one of the things that struck me about this is a lot of these places are, they're, they're not exactly uh, it's we're not talking like rural Iowa here, like some of the place like in the Forbes article that we're going to link to. It lists um, seven towns that exemplify Zoom towns and like once a, a suburb essentially of, of New York City, it's 90 miles north of, New, of Manhattan. Uh, 90 miles is essentially a suburb of New York City if <laughs> if you're from the New York area. Um, there's a place as a suburb of Nashville, but which is probably pretty inexpensive. But it's like Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. <laughs> that's beautiful people town. I live here. I know. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of the thing is like this is coming from a very it's a certain segment of society that's able to have the luxury to go and do this. Right. right? This is not going to be everybody. But it's also going to be a, a huge infrastructure shock for these areas where they're yeah. going to have to build out and, and they're going to essentially become a suburb or a more urban area very quickly uh, just because they have to. Well, that's and, uh, the interesting thing is I think this is going to be first in going to be in places like Martha's Vineyard and Aspen and Cape Cod and these more like high higher end like Tahoe and that sort of stuff. Va vacation meccas because they already have infrastructure they already have high-speed internet mm -hmm. and they're serving people who expect certain amount of amenities but i think what we'll see is i think it's kind of like with cars you like the luxury cars get the high tech first and then it trickles down i think what we could end up seeing is a trickle down into some other places like iowa and nebraska and you know in like western kentucky places mm -hmm. where there's there's less 
of a you know of a draw for the the glitterati the the the, the rich and beautiful and more just this is a a nice place a, a beautiful place without all the big city you know nonsense that that's inexpensive and by the way we've we've put in high speed internet i think yeah. if if we can get into that place i think we'd be good well, I think two things are going to change that. And the two things are the we're going to talk about the space stuff later. So the, the Starlink, you know, kind of uh, high speed Internet anywhere uh, concept. And then also uh, 5G rolling out as the 5G technology gets cheaper, you'll be able to deploy it a lot more readily to kind of remote areas because it's uh, it doesn't rely on these huge towers as much as it does a lot of smaller towers. Yes. Uh, so you, know, you can have one big tower in the area that transmits to a bunch of smaller towers in all of these neighborhoods around it. And that would be a great way to keep uh, a lot more people connected without having to run a huge amount of infrastructure to them. Yeah, that that would be a big because, yeah, right now, 5G is basically, you know, uh, it's it's 500 feet line of sight. You know, all that we talked about that in the iPhone 12 uh, episode recently where it's it's. 5G is a couple years away from being really useful like that. But once it's there, mm. it'll be fast. It'll be uh, – and, and yeah, you won't necessarily – we're getting to a day in the not-too-distant future where you won't need to have the cable company running a line into your house. Let's put it that way. That you'll yeah. – you know, we're, we're actually pretty close to, the, to that now where your phone is just as fast as, as your internet connection in, in a lot of places, even if you're on LTE. Uh, so that's true. That's true. I, I like the idea of sort of dispersing people into the country so that we're not all bunched up in these big cities um, mm -hmm. to sort of preserve some small towns. Uh, I think a lot of the you know, this was one of the things I always noticed growing up in the 80s was all these always had these news stories about these small towns, farm towns dying because the young people had no opportunities and they'd grow up and they'd move off to the big city where they could get jobs and they never came back. And maybe this is the sort of thing that turns around because with, you know, internet jobs that are primarily internet access, you know, active uh, and then being able to get nearly everything under the sun delivered to your home within 48 hours and that sort of thing. I think that that could really lend itself to that. I mean, one of the things just from my point, from my perspective personally, I would I would move away from the city in a heartbeat to someplace that's less expensive, that gives me a lot more land and a bigger house for less money. Uh, if I was looking at a place in Vermont that was on online the other day, and I'm like, oh, I, I want to move into this house. It is amazing, uh, and it's <laughs> and it costs it's like twice the size, three times the size of my house, and costs the same amount as it. Uh, but I look at it and go, okay, but it's how far from every museum that we love and how far from, right. you know, really cool uh, markets. And right now we can't go to those things, but someday we will be able to do that again. And that's the that's the tension, I feel. Well, we'll see. We'll see if all that stuff ends up going online, too. That's, you know, that's the other thing yeah. is they'll maintain the spaces, but then have an online component to it where you can do an online tour. And, in VR. In, then you don't have to yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. AK VR would be awesome. I can I can look yeah. at the paint swirls on the Van Gogh and <laughs> in, in, in close on I can the holodecks in our houses. Yes, the holodecks. Yes, or transporters. We'll just we'll just go the full Star yeah. Trek and have the murder machines in our house. Sorry, I, I have I have a philosophical <laughs> opposition to transporters, but. <laughs>
So, uh, all right. So Zoom Towns, I, I, they bear watching. It'll be interesting to see what happens with it. Uh, there was it was interesting. They uh, there were some stats on it. Um, they there was a study that's been done of these towns, and they they looked at towns that had less than twenty five thousand people were within ten miles of a national park, monument, forest, lake, or river, and at least fifteen miles from a census designated urban area. And they identified fifteen hundred and twenty two towns in America that fit that description, and then they surveyed them. So it's interesting. So there's that's a lot actually fifteen hundred and twenty two places. Those sound like yeah. pretty awesome places to live. Like just that description. Sounds pretty yeah. awesome to me. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, I do wonder how this will affect. Um, I've noticed this happened before, especially like um, like you mentioned in Nashville. We uh, had a bunch of people move in and they bring the cost of living up. So everybody who's grown up there, especially like older couples or oh, yeah. um, and like this can happen in minority neighborhoods where people come in, they buy these old houses, they fix them up and it raises the property taxes for everyone. And you end up pricing people who've lived in these places out of living in their homes. Yeah, they identified that as one of the key issues with a lot of these places is it, you know, it raises mm -hmm. the cost of living for the people who've lived there for generations. I saw that actually um on the coast of Maine, there's a town called Camden, and my family has had vacation there for more than 50 years before I was born. And it's interesting to see how it's changed over the years. It went from a fishing village, you know, a quaint, beautiful fishing village, and it really has become this mecca for people in big yachts. And, you know, it's it's become this playground for the for the rich. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, you see like super luxury cars on the roads and stuff like that. And you've you I've heard the stories for years now of, of people who've lived there for all their lives who can't afford to live in that town anymore. The taxes are too high or they just get too good of an offer. Like, I will give you a million dollars for this little place because it sits the land it sits on is so valuable. And it's like, I, I can't turn it down. I have no other prospects like this. I have to leave. And so the town loses that. And because in this case, they're often vacation homes. They, right. you, you don't have stable families living in a town and that just it becomes a shell of itself. So I could see this being a problem for a lot of these places is not so much the vacation aspect, but yeah, it, it raises the cost of living and really strips the, the, the deep character, the generational character of the town. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's something to, to keep in mind. One of the things that they're doing is, uh, so I think one of the articles talked about they're helping towns develop. They're, they're kind of developing template zoning ordinances and other uh, mm -hmm. other types of regulations that would help the 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 growth and managing the growth as not not stopping it because of course you don't want to die but you know you strangle right. your town but uh, you want to manage it so that will be interesting to to, to follow. All right. Great. So uh, before we move on to our next topic, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including this time EC, Kristen R., Aline G., Hiram G., and Todd B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So I got my two space guys on this episode this week. You guys, you guys are my space pals because I, right. when I want, when I, when it's space news, I know it's Thomas and Jack. 
So <laughs> let's talk some space news because there's been some big space news this week. Uh, let's start. It really has. Let's start with maybe uh, I guess the 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 big one. There actually there was another headline I saw about something like the, the, a big crack forming in the moon and maybe something was hatching. But uh, let's, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad Doctor Who episode. No, but this one is NASA announced this week that water on the moon is more ubiquitous than they previously imagined. What do you guys think of this? What did, did you did you see what the, what they were talking about? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's surface level water, which is something that we didn't think, especially surface level water on the uh, sun side of the moon. So in case in case you don't know, there is actually a light side and a dark side of the moon. Uh, so it's there's a side that's always facing the sun. And that's why it, we always see the same side when it's when it's up at night. And it's uh, it, it that means it gets hot. Because there's no atmosphere to cool that side down. So that side of the moon is always warmer than the other side of the moon. And it's warm enough that we never thought that water could exist on that side of the moon. And what we're finding is that it's actually kind of suspended in the the regolith, in the dirt on the moon. That there's water capable of existing in that space. Which is such a weird thing. It's just not something we anticipated. And... Lo and behold, you know, the universe is much more strange than we thought it was. <laughs> it's like dipping dots in space. Dipping, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which were invented for the moon, for those astronauts, at least exactly. according to the, the things I saw in the mall. Well, yeah, that, they said that they, it's in the there are permanent shadows in craters because the moon mm. does, like you said, the moon doesn't turn. So wherever the sun is, it's always, you know, where it is. And then the shadows are permanent. And so the water lives in the shadows, which is kind of creepy. <laughs> but uh, so they they said it, there's water, there's potentially a couple different kinds of water, but one of them is like water, like you said, in between the grains of the regolith of the yeah. of the dirt on the surface, which is kind of fascinating. How accessible is that, though? I mean, is it's like, do you have to scoop up like a quarter mile, square mile of the moon's surface to get a gallon of water? I mean, what did you guys see anything with that? I think it's going to depend on how much water you need and how much is exactly there. That's going to, like it said in the article, they're going to have to actually go to the moon and send probes to the moon to really determine that. Yeah. But what is exciting about this is the implications for other exoplanets and like other mm -hmm. bodies in the solar system, like just how much usable material is out there. And we'll talk about that with that asteroid story. But mm -hmm. once we get out there and we know how to actually harvest these raw materials, these space colonies should be able to become self-sustaining at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is it so important that stuff is in space as opposed to just dragging it off the planet? It's just because the cost of shipping things from Earth to other places, and the farther out you get, the harder it's going to be to get supplies from Earth to these other places. So if you start harvesting things from the Moon, you can get to Mars, and then we can start using the resources on Mars, and so on and so forth, kind of hopping from planet to planet. And it's also it's it's cheaper to pull things like if you can harvest something from the moon, it's cheaper to get it off the moon and off to another planet because the gravity of the moon is so much right. less. So the Delta V to actually like launch a rocket from the moon is much lower than from the Earth even. And, you know, when we get to the asteroid story, we'll talk about, you know, harvesting resources from an asteroid. Yeah. It's even cheaper because right. there's almost no cost of getting off the asteroid. And with water, you can split that up and you get hydrogen and oxygen. So you can make your mm -hmm. rocket fuel, you have breathable air. So it's more than just drinking water. Okay. And like pulling a gallon of water off the surface of the earth is going to be like a hundred times more expensive than a gallon of water off the surface of the moon. You know, I mean, that's the, right. or, a, right. or a, a pound of anything, you know, like whatever yeah. you're taking. 
exactly. Even if you have to, and even if you're talking about the the, the act of harvesting it from the moon, uh, if you can just rake up a whole bunch of moon dust and process it out, you're, you've got whatever the moon dust is, which we're pretty sure is mostly iron and other types of materials that we can use to uh, use for construction. Uh, and you can separate the water out of that. That's dramatically cheaper, even if you have to go through a, a, a really complicated process mm -hmm. than having to launch it from the earth and right. take it there. You could probably, I mean, it's a little speculative here, but like giant moon Roombas that just vacuum up the surface and, <laughs> right? and yeah. do the processing <laughs> with unattended, perhaps. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. So uh, it's, that's, I mean, it's not, aliens on the moon but it is pretty cool when you when you think about the implications for 2024 the artemis moon mission and then beyond that to mars and elsewhere well when they're on the moon harvesting the 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 water they can be talking to each other on their 4g lte phones by nokia apparently <laughs> so because <laughs> built with upgrade with, with with the upgrade potential to 5g, 5G that's what yeah. they're, yes i think that's the way they're planning 5g it, so. on the moon that's be, that'll be the only place you'll be able to use your iphone 12 <laughs> but uh so what we're talking about is this next headline which is that nokia has signed a contract with nasa to develop a wireless 4G network for the lunar surface, ultra-compact, low-power, and space-hardened, which is important because space has lots of radiation and other stuff that can mess with things. Uh, there aren't, there, there's not much in the way of obstacles to your towers, so the radio waves can travel a lot further, I would think. Uh, and they want, to, they want to start putting stuff up there by 2022 and eventually make it upgradable to 5G when, you know, like probably about the same time we get 5G you ubiquitous. Yeah, I'm gonna keep making fun of 5G. <laughs> uh, so uh, very interesting. So why? What's what's the point? This isn't really for astronauts to talk to each other on the phone uh, on the moon, right? What's the implication? I mean, partially it's going to be the equipment communicating with each other, yeah. and you can get that instantaneous communication. Um, something that I think will be cool is if they're able to tie this into what SpaceX is doing with Starlink. So you have a swarm yeah. of satellites around Earth. And so there's always going to be satellites in the in the line of sight of the moon and what the latency is going to be like between direct communications between Earth and the moon. Right. That, that'll be interesting because that's going to be delayed. Uh, that'll be delayed by quite a bit uh, right. just for the distance. So we'll have to have like tiers of satellites jumping between the 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 earth and the moon and then i was thinking about the same thing though i was like yeah. okay now so if we if we set up a, 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 a series of satellites that's always in range and able to jump the communications back and forth you're looking at probably about uh you know like a 30 second to 50 second latency somewhere in well, there that's the straight line latency is, is under three seconds so if, if you don't yeah. use repeaters it's like within the apollo era it was about three seconds, right. so it's not too bad, even as it is. I mean, you can you yeah. can you can communicate with that. I mean, that's basically Skype, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's a, it's, you could use like direct lasers or something yep. from the surface of the Earth yeah. to a receptor on the Moon. But well, you're not going to get any faster, right? I mean, light is light. Yeah. You know, that's the yeah. that's the thing. So it, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's going to cap out at a certain point. Yeah. yeah. 186,000 miles per second. And the, the interesting thing about the, the 4G on the moon is that it's going to... I like that they're thinking ahead of, in this sense that we're not going to be limited to one base. We're not going to be limited to one uh, range of 
things that can be working all at one time. So you can have multiple robots out there all communicating on this 4G network. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're moving from cell tower to cell tower. It's also going to provide a better kind of GPS system for them. That's that's one thing that um, you you can triangulate off the towers at that point. Uh, So it's it's got a lot of really interesting uses beyond just the like, you know, cell phone ability that we use it for here. And and you just have, you know go go through and think you know what do what do they use the phones for in CSI what do they use the phones for in um, all these uh, all the terrorist shows where they're right there's so much more that you can do with these cell networks than just use your phone it's just that that's what we happen to do with it every day right right yeah all the data that that's going to be mm-hmm. flying around well I mean think about it I was talking before about like having moon Roombas doing automated automated processing of all that oxygen and all the regolith exactly. and all that well you these would need to be communicating to, with each other with the home base and they would need a network for that so uh, this is this is just one piece of the puzzle for how to build it it's so exciting to me that we're going to the moon in four years, guys, like 2024. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this awesome. is amazing. And then we're going to have a moon base that they're going to have there. I mean, this is super exciting. I mean, I, I get so upset with like all the 2020, oh, the politics and all the COVID. And I'm like, yeah, but there's so much to look forward to if we survive yeah. that long. You know, <laughs> well, you get off the plane. Yes. Exactly. And we're already we're already planning our Mars mission. They're already um, hiring yeah. astronauts for the Mars mission. So right. And, and training and getting them ready for that event when we're going in the 2030s. That's right. Our, that's our that's our stated goal and our aim. I can't wait. To, I, I hope I live that long because I really, really want to see a man walk on the on Mar, or man or woman walk on Mars because it will. Be, I mean, I just I'll be jumping out of my skin at how exciting yeah. that will be. Um, I was I was uh, two. I was seven months old when. Neil Armstrong walked on the moon somewhere around there. Uh, so I don't remember it uh, or any of them walking on the moon. I don't remember. But uh, so I'm I'm really I really want to be able to see someone walk on the moon and someone walk on Mars. That's that's my big goal. All right. So speaking of going up into space, there is also news regarding SpaceX there. Uh, there. So we had the Crew Dragon 2 mission, which was this past summer, where they was the test flight of two astronauts going up to the space station. They stayed there for like a week or so, I think something like that. Right. Well, now they're they're getting ready to start doing the, the regular uh, missions. They're preparing to send the next uh, Crew Dragon up. And this one's going to have four astronauts going to the ISS for six months. Uh, this is a big deal. It's pretty cool. Yeah, this is a full mission, basically. Yeah, the last was just proof of concept. This is, uh, okay, now yeah. we're serious. Let's get it up there and let's do something with it. Yeah, uh, they're targeting, uh, last I seen, saw was, uh, as of on Tuesday, they were saying November 14th was mm-hmm. the launch date mm-hmm. that they were planning for. Uh, they had a slightly d- delay because of, I don't know, some equipment issues they wanted to uh, double check. Uh, but it's you know, this is this is the promise of commercial spaceflight, right? That mm. stuff not being operated by NASA per se and government bureaucracy. Uh, there is a there there is an impetus to get things done and get them done right. You know, and 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 get things up there, and that's what they're doing. I mean, all credit to the NASA's engineers over the last sixty years. I mean, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I just I'm so happy to see them really starting to you know getting things going and rolling and getting stuff launched in the re- real promise of regular, you know, routine space flight. Yeah. And just how quickly they've gotten there. 
yeah that's been the amazing thing yeah they've been able to iterate so fast that's the that's the uh the, the lack of the bureaucracy that the government agency has to go through yeah. is uh is a, is a real help right it's interesting though because you see now uh you see now why it's so slow sometimes because that you know you talk about the delays that's they've been delaying a lot of these starlink launches that they've been going through because it uses a very similar technology and they've had just some hiccups on the launch pad and it's not anything that they think is really dangerous it's just that one of the thrusters is uh not inside of what they consider the optimal range and by optimal they mean it's not even about safety at that point it's just it's not exactly what they want it to be when when it goes up so you know you, you see that once you put a person in that craft you start to be a lot more careful and a lot less cavalier about well yeah. let's just go ahead and launch and see what happens right you know? right if we if we lose some lettuce not a big deal but if we lose a person that's uh that's, that's a different a story deal. altogether yeah <laughs> it is pretty awesome because uh I've been watching on uh, Disney Plus the National Geographic Right Stuff series, which which is highly fictionalized. I mean, it's based on what really happened. Uh, but I've also been, as I'm watching it, going back and looking at articles and things about the actual mm-hmm. stuff and just how hard it was for them to just get a rocket to launch, like the, the Mercury rockets, to get those to launch without blowing up on the pad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it to, was... To even get the capsule to work without blowing up. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's they had the capsule out on the launch pad with nothing going on, and it still caught fire. So, you right. know, they, they've got... Yeah, it was, it was a big deal. And I think uh, we tend to forget just how amazing this technology is. Like right. When you watch those, uh, the dragons land in sync, like synced up landing on the pads. Like that's something straight out of science fiction. That's, oh, yeah. it looks like CGI. It's amazing. Yeah. My yeah. eye says that's CGI, but it's not. It's real. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's talk about uh, the the our our last science, uh, space story, which is uh, really cool. You you alluded to this earlier. There is a Hubble, the Hubble telescope, still working. It has discovered a massive metal asteroid. It's called Psyche. That's a uh, one of the uh, it's it's out of Greek mythology. That's it says it's worth way more than our global economy. I suppose it's like a giant chunk of a planet. I mean, yeah. I mean, just I mean, it's not it's not that it's I mean, it's got special minerals in it, but it's just a a, a chunk of iron the size of Africa, I think it is or something. You know, it's like massive. Uh, or it's not that big. It's 140 miles wide. So it's but still. It's a giant hunk of iron. Yeah, it'll be worth right. a fortune. Uh, and they're all excited about it. So you was kind of saying, I think one of you were saying earlier that, that this is exciting. What's exciting about this hunk of iron in space? You can build space settlements out of it. Yeah. Like what we were talking about earlier, where you don't have to ship all that from Earth. You can capture it in orbit and you can just start mining off of it. You can build a base on it and mine off of it. Yeah, you can do both. <laughs> it's already it's it's already iron. You just cut out the inside, sell that part, and you've got a wall now. Yeah. <laughs> got, right, right. You got a structure right. done. Just don't bring any proto molecules on on board. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say it's like, this takes us back to like talking about the uh, the belters and the, that whole <laughs> the that whole category of things yeah. from the expanse. Yeah, I think scientifically this is really cool because um, you know we don't know what the belt is. We don't know what the um, what the asteroid belt is, and so uh, we we have a lot of hypotheses. Hypotheses, and the the best reigning hypothesis is that it was a planet, and then that it just didn't survive the initial catastrophic uh, creation of the solar system. And so, Psyche is one of our best 
possible landing sites to determine what the interior of this planet may have been like. And so we can go and look at it and see what the interior of a planet is mm-hmm. um, because it's been kind of uh, deconstructed for us. <laughs> Which they're planning to do in 2026, right? They've got a, yeah. a, a Psyche mission, uh, unless they're going to go and go, no, we're not landing. Psyche! Oh, sorry, just a bad joke. <laughs> Psyche. Psyche. Jack, are you going to say uh, had something? Uh, yeah, something that, uh, and this is kind of similar to your point, is um, when you see stories like this, we kind of tend to think that we know everything there is to know about our local neighborhood in the solar system because of the Voyager mm-hmm. probes and everything. We have all these beautiful pictures, but there's still so much that we don't know, even about objects that are relatively close, like the moon. Like, there's so much more to learn about that, and that's what's really exciting about stuff like this. Right. Right. And and there's a reason why they tell us like, oh, this is worth 10,000 quadrillion dollars, which is a like stupid, silly number because it's impossible. It's meaningless. I mean, the global economy was one hundred forty two trillion dollars. I mean, it's like it's a meaningless number. If you if you dropped all that on, you know, commodities on the market, it would devalue everything on the planet. So, so you, you can't it's not like you can sell it. But the idea is, I think what what they try to do and it's kind of smart is look the reason we're going to space is because there's a lot of great stuff in space and if we can mm-hmm. get it in space we don't have to dig up our planet to get, to, to get right. the same stuff we don't we don't have to dig up iron you, you know iron mines and do strip mining and all this awful stuff on this tiny blue marble that's very fragile we'll just do it out there and nobody cares if you grind up you could grind up half the asteroids in the asteroid belt and that would be like 10,000 planet earths i mean it's just like right. you, you just you would never run out of the material so yeah. uh, it it would it, it's it is important to go there and to spend the money to go into space because of the there are tangible benefits to us here not just philosophical benefits which are are, are real and not just scientific benefits of we want to know but there are also tangible benefits, which mm-hmm. i.e. improving people's lives. Uh, so that it's really I think it's important. Uh, I'd be curious to find out if there's if there's more than just iron on it, like if there's stuff like. Gold or plutonium, uh, not plutonium, platinum or platinum. or other rare materials that on Earth are relatively rare, but are important for things like electronics and superconducting mm-hmm. materials and all that sort of stuff that we could use to make uh technical and complex things in space that would be that would be really great there are a bundle of asteroids in the asteroid belt that are uh platinum that we yeah. that we assume are platinum because mm. because of the signature they give off so yeah it's, i mean there there's a lot of valuable stuff out there and that, and the thing is is i think people right now you we go back to this concept of launching from the moon um if if we can get to the point where we have a launch site on the moon that is self-sustaining, that can create its own fuel, that can uh, get a, a ship entirely ready from the moon. It's going to cost so much less to travel anywhere. And then once right. you move from that point, we start mining things, and then you can actually build a space station where it costs virtually nothing to start the ship off. You just all the fuel you're using is the fuel that gets you from point A to B. And you don't even have to worry about a launch at that point. Right. That's when we yeah. start really having a lot of power in space. That will be. And once we get the ball rolling on that, it's going to uh, bring down the barrier to entry a lot. Right. Right. And because we're going to have, it's not going to just be a government agency, but we'll be corporations. We'll probably be given uh, franchises, mining rights, or whatever you want to call it, or, or at least 
they'll be cooperating with the government to establish moon bases where they can operate from, but they'll be private corporations. And so they'll have a, mm-hmm. a profit incentive to, to do it as inexpensively as possible and to maximize shareholder value and that whole thing. That would be, that really drives <laughs> speed and drives, you know, drives them out there. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. I mean, there are dangers to being purely, uh, led by capitalism and profit, obviously, but we, it's, it's, it, frankly, I think it's, it's better than being driven by bureaucracy and politics. So right. <laughs> we'll see. Well, and it avoids, it avoids the, the disincentive of people saying, well, things are so messed up here. We should fix things here before we go other places. And, and it kind of gives light of that where it's like, well, no, we can go other places and in doing that, fix things here. <laughs> right. Right. So. Right. Like, I think people tend to forget that a lot of the technological advancements we have and the medical advancements we have came from people researching what to do in space. Right. right. Try to survive in the most hostile environment possible led to a lot of technological advances. Yeah. That's that's for sure. Excellent. And Velcro. And Velcro. Yes. Yeah. Can't, couldn't, and you know. couldn't do without the Velcro. So oh. Vulcans invented that. <laughs> so, uh, all right. That's great. So we that's that's our space news. We're, we're going to be keep covering space news. I, I love space news. And uh, it's been too long since we talked about it, so uh, we'll we'll be back to talk about that again. Uh, but uh, our next topic is a bit of a follow up, uh, guys. Hold on to your hats. I know you're going to be shocked. Quibi <laughs> is shutting down. <laughs> That's right. Oh Darn no! <laughs> in case you, in case you didn't know, uh, Quibi was the mobile only video streaming service. It was you know uh, only going to be on your phone. It launched by some of the biggest names in Hollywood with hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and. Uh, blew all of that <laughs> very quickly it was only around for like six months and it's gone and frankly I, I, we were talking about it when it first launched and we all agreed like who is this for why was yeah, this made right. there is this is this is not going to survive and uh i'm i love being a genius because apparently <laughs> <laughs> apparently we knew better than the than the, these guys uh what do you guys think of this story that uh, it's completely unsurprising. I haven't even thought about Quibi in six months, which is how long it's been around. Um, <laughs> I think one of the big problems was a lot of their videos were vertical, which is a horrible format for any sort of like fiction. Like I hate it when right. people record videos and send them to me vertical. I don't want to yes. watch a story that way. <laughs> yes, exactly. One of the things I saw, there was this guy, uh, Jan- John Wick on uh, on Twitter, who is a writer uh like a screen former he says former screenwriter and he was he was saying that quibi's format of 10 minute episodes it was they 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 sold it as you could just it's like a, it's like watching a youtube video and so every episode of a show is only 10 minutes long and you're just getting in a little bit there and he said no 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 that's 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 a lie this this guy john wick he says by playing credits between each act of a show instead of commercials quibi claimed that a 10 episode season was actually 40 low budget under 12 minute episodes which allowed them to skirt the screen actors guild union mm-hmm. and the writers union minimums so they didn't have to abide by the contracts so it was a way of as he put as he says uh, a scab based business model yeah uh, right what do you guys think you think that's really what it was about I, i've heard that other places i've heard that on npr as well i think npr did a did a report where they talked about the fact that it was it allowed them to avoid the uh screenwriters guild uh 
issues. Yeah. And they, and they didn't have to do advertising the same way that they, that they're required right. to do advertising on TV. So there were, there were a lot of really sketchy, uh, business decisions, uh, beyond just why are we even doing this right right i would wonder if they were even thinking this was going to survive that long and if this was more just a let's make some money and then get out i'm not sure they actually made any money i mean they uh, they they blew you know 100 and i forget what it was 150 175 million dollars i'd be surprised if they if they made anything or no i'm sorry 1.75 billion dollars oh, sorry so i don't i, I would wow. be surprised if they won it if they if they made any money off of it except for maybe the people who got salaries out of it i mean maybe that's what yeah. it was yeah i mean the, they they tried to blame it on oh it's the pandemic it kept us from hitting our mm-hmm. growth targets but the fact is that, i mean we looked at the lineup of show shows quote unquote that they were offering and they were just universally like bad late night cable quality shows like just mm-hmm. it's hard to do drama in in 10 minutes at a time so they had like weird game shows and weird talk shows and just it was yeah it was youtube is already doing the plenty well right. on its own you can't right. you can't uh, undercut it with a paid service it's just not going to work and it doesn't even make sense to use the pandemic as a reason for it to not work out because all anyone was doing is sitting at home and watching videos. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm scrolling my feed just like everybody else. Like, just like we talked about in the social dilemma. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, all right. Yeah. So, bye, Quibi. We hardly knew you. At least I <laughs> hardly knew you. <laughs> don't let the door hit you. <laughs> and don't, don't and let that be a lesson to everybody else out there with these things. So don't, don't shovel the, these, these baloney services at us. Give us something of value and we'll, we'll appreciate yeah. it. You got you got to answer a need like yeah. like if you're going to make a service, you really have to find a need and answer that need. And I I think they were I, I, giving everybody benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to say that they thought they were answering this need that people had to be able to watch short spurts of things. Uh-huh. And, you know, like I'm I'm sitting waiting for the bus. I want to watch something. I watch it. I have a sense of completion, not that I have to pause in the middle of my show and come back to it. But the problem there is that we all just pause in the middle of our show and come back to it, and it's it doesn't bother us. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's not that big of an issue to just okay, I'm going to pause my show here and I'll pick it up at home because there's no need to like scroll back through or or anything. Netflix already remembers where you were. You know, Disney Plus already knows right. that's where you were in this particular uh, show. Even if you go watch something else, you come back to it. It, it remembers where you were. So that's right. I, I you know giving everybody the benefit of the doubt, they had a, a neat idea that just really was not well thought through at all yeah well and the technology was interesting this idea that you could you know turn the phone and it would give you a different view on the scene you Mm -hmm. know but this is kind of like remember when when dvds came out like you'll have alternate uh, versions of every scene where you could look from and like all Mm -hmm. the filmmakers get that's too much work i don't want to do that i just want to make a movie (laughs) Like, I don't want to have this weird stuff where we have to film the same thing from three different angles. And nobody ever did that. And so I think even if they'd survived, that would not have been a long standing feature of, of the show. I, yeah. I, I mean, frankly, I don't really care. Like, I show me the, yeah. the your vision of the product. Don't make me have to be the director. Right. I, I would love to hear from somebody who did subscribe and, and used it at yeah. all because I cannot imagine what it was like. <laughs> 
you're right being in the midst of all this and like and then like really enjoying a show and going oh well that was really neat and now you know the whole platform fails i literally don't know a single person who subscribed to quibi right i mean that that's probably part of it i mean and and i'm not in the demographic obviously that they were aiming for uh that that's a much younger demo but uh yeah i just don't i know i I didn't know anybody frankly most people didn't even know about it despite all the advertising all right, let's uh, move on to our picks of the week. Jack, why don't you go first with your pick? All right, keeping with the space theme of this episode, I'm going to uh, suggest that people pick up a cheap uh, backyard telescope if you've not done astronomy before. Um, specifically, I'm going to recommend the uh, Celestron Power Seeker 127EQ. Uh, it's a nice little telescope that uh, you can just set up. It comes with the tripod. Um, it doesn't have auto tracking or anything like that, but you really don't need that for what this is for. You can look at different planets. Um, you can look at the moon and see the craters in really good detail. Um, you can even see some um, uh, nebulas with it. I think it's got a 1000 millimeter focal length and a 127 millimeter uh, aperture. Um, it's a nice, uh, inexpensive backyard telescope for getting into that. And then once you do that, you can upgrade parts as you go. Um, and right now is a really good time to get a telescope because Mars is the brightest it's going to be for a long time. Cool. I think it's a one sixty nine ninety five on Amazon. Yep. And uh, I think they even have like a, a smartphone adapter so you can connect your phone to the eyepiece and, and take pictures through it. Which is yeah. Cool. Yeah. It comes with that. Oh, this is really neat. I might have to get my, uh. My in-laws to buy this as a Christmas present for my daughter who loves <laughs> looking at the stars. So uh, really cool. That's a great idea. Uh, excellent. Uh, Thomas, what about you? So I'm keeping in the space theme, too. I decided that um, uh, if you don't know what SoundCloud is, uh, it's a, uh, a streaming app that allows people to upload pretty much uh, any kind of music or anything that they want to. Um, it's a, a really uh, low barrier to entry for a lot of artists. So you can find a lot of really neat artists on there, but NASA has a sound cloud and, uh, this month they are putting together the scary sounds of our solar system. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, it, obviously they don't put microphones on everything that goes out into space, but they can interpret some of the, uh, waves from some of the, uh, sensors that they have on the the ships and satellites and things and they can turn them into music and so that's what they've done with some of these things so uh, as voyager was passing through uh some of the uh, electromagnetic pulses that are out there they took uh sensor readings and they converted those sensor readings into what you would expect space to sound like which is creepy and sort of mellow <laughs> and theremin-y and <laughs> it is awesome. uh I, it definitely worth a listen it's really cool uh, there's even some stuff on there from some of the rovers on mars where they recorded earthquakes and so you can hear mars uh that you can hear the earthquakes that were occurring on mars when Ooh. they were able to record them that's awesome wow that is cool yeah that's cool you play that for the kids on halloween Exactly. It definitely makes a great Halloween soundtrack. Let me tell you, it's it's got all the creepiness to it, the really weird high pitched keening and just about everything you'd expect from creepy space music. Awesome. Awesome. So my pick is not space themed, uh, but it is something I've been using and enjoying. It's a it's an adjustable laptop stand, but it's it's a really good one. It's got it's called the uh, it's Lamacall notebook holder uh, and it's got this really big base and this really sturdy post and it's all like steel. This is, this is like solid. It's nice and heavy. So your, your laptop isn't going to fall over. 
if you put it on it, if you type on it, even it would, it's, it's really steady. It's adjustable. It goes up and down. So it's got some height adjustment and angle adjustment. Uh, one thing I use it for is I put my iPad on it in its, uh, in its keyboard case. And then I, I use a bit of software on my computer, on my Mac. It's called uh type two phone. And it basically makes a, my Mac make a Bluetooth connection to the iPad and I can type on my Mac's keyboard on the iPad for various things if I want it because I run certain software on there that I don't want to run on the Mac because they're because sometimes their Mac software stinks like Discord. I'm looking at you. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's it's the stand is really nice. And even if like I, I know there are people that they use it as at their desk, they their laptop is their primary computer, but they have a separate keyboard and mouse. And so they have the laptop high enough so that it's, it's the right ergonomic height. And this is a so, but this is a really nice laptop stand, really sturdy, really well made, uh, and it's sixty bucks, which is pretty good for for this uh, this price. So that's my pick. I'd like to add add to uh, Jack's pick. If you end up getting a telescope, I recommend that you find a Barlow lens for your telescope mm. because it doubles the amplitude of light that you can get in and allows you to see much more stuff. And it's the first purchase and should basically come with the telescopes. It just doesn't for whatever reason. So <laughs> does it, does that have to come from the manufacturer for that sco- telescope or? Uh, you, you just have to find one that fits your telescope. Okay. So you kind of, you kind of look around for Barlow lens and the name of your telescope and get it. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's an addition. You, you slide your lens into the Barlow lens and it, allows you to basically double what you can see. Excellent. So it nice. kind of is like awesome. a two times zoom. Oh, cool. And Celestron is a big name in telescopes. So yeah, oh, yeah. there's definitely mm-hmm. going to be one for for the, this one. Excellent. Good, good, good call. All right. So that's it from us. Uh, what do you think of our discussion today? We talked about zoom towns and the various space news and the, the, the demise of Quibi. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. Uh, if you can, we would really appreciate it. and It really helps a lot when you do this. If you could write a review in Apple Podcasts or one of the podcast directories where you get your podcast from, and then share the podcast with your friends. Let them know we're here and that this is a resource for them. This is a, We try to make this for everyone, the tech aficionados, but for people who are just interested in getting more use or better use out of their technology. Help us grow this community of listeners. We really do appreciate when you do that. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Thomas Sinerho, thank you as well. It was a pleasure. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest.